0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the duct tape marketing podcast. This is your host John Jantz and my guest today is Martha Beck. She's author and life coach who actually now trains life coaches all over the world. She has been a columnist for The Oprah Magazine since its inception and and is frequently the go-to person for some of the stuff we're going to talk about today uh, uh, when the Oprah show was around. And we are going to also talk about her latest book called Finding Your Way in the Wild New World. So, Martha, what a treat to have you.
1: Oh, the honor is all mine. Thank you.
0: So, I always like to get into some of these. I know I, being an author, I know how publishers wrangle over titles and authors wrangle <laughs> right. over titles and so every word is is meaningful. Uh, so, so let me get right to it. What's so wild about the world right now?
1: Um, we're facing a situation that has never existed in all of history. Number one, humans are overpopulating the globe to the point where we need to start thinking about changing our practices in a number of areas. And the second thing is that there's been this huge wave of innovation technology, disruptive innovation, one business theorist calls it. And that means that, um, I'll now quote Thomas Friedman, a Pulitzer Prize winning economist, he says the world is flat that now one person with a computer in Bangladesh has as much information as the librarian at the Library of Congress, and that levels the playing field in a world where information used to be power, and now we've got a whole different model emerging.
0: Yeah, I think I think filtering information is the new power.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. It's like trying to spit from a fire hose. <laughs> That's
0: right. You, you spend a lot of time talking about how... Traditional Westerners have trouble with this. You know, it's like here's my human world. You know, here's the natural world, and in a lot of other cultures, of course, uh, they, they, they've seen very much the same thing. And I, you know, it's funny. I work with a lot of small business owners, and and even the there used to be this desire to have this perfect balance between my business world and my what I didn't do in my business world. And I think that's right. and I think that's actually gone away. And, yeah. I, and I'm not. I think that's okay because I think that anything you do with this much passion probably is going to seep into every aspect of your life. But talk a little bit about this idea of how you manage that
1: just yeah. being well, one. First of all, you have to realize that the way we think of work was completely founded in the Industrial Revolution in factories. So the idea of leaving your home, going to some place, punching a clock, being there for a number of a number of hours with other people it was based on the assembly line. So you, you'd put widgets in all day long, and then you'd go home. And that is what we consider to be a normal life. By the way, when, when Thoreau wrote that the majority of men lead lives of quiet desperation, he was talking about men who were forced to lead their lives and go sit in factories, right? So we still have that, even though we're doing, say, information processing, and we have no need to be at the office, the idea is we still have these cubicles set side by side for people who are supposed to work, and then they have a life outside the way people worked from 30,000 years ago was that there was a community and there was everybody had a different function slightly different function and people worked together and they rested when they were tired and they got up and you know went hunting or made fishing nets or helped raise children or whatever there was never this sense of what i do to make my life work is totally separate from my emotional life from my family life from rest from play, it was all much more integrated. And I think we need to go back to that, and we're able to go back to that now.
0: Yeah, that is <laughs> that is absolutely so true. So what well- – you the I guess in a lot of ways um, I think it might even be in the subtitle, but uh, um, you know the essence of this work is this idea of of finding your true nature and and I right. you know I talk about this in business I mean business is so hard unless you really are passionate about what you're yep. doing you believe in what you're doing and it'll kill you otherwise um, so oh, yeah. so so why is it so hard for people to maybe grasp that concept first off but then even you know to actually find that I mean I have so many people I say this to and they go I I'm trying but I don't know I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah. I think it really starts um with uh, in our educational system very early, probably before that with parents who have been socialized to sort of push children away from what they know they want. So my my youngest child came home from her first day at Montessori school. She was 3 years old and she was holding herself in this weird rigid way and I said, "What are you doing?" And she said, "Today at school they taught us we have to control our bodies." And I was like, Ooh, I think I sent you to Mussolini school instead of Montessori school. But the fact is that when we're very little, we are taught not to respond to what we actually feel like doing. We're taught to hold ourselves rigid and not just sometimes. We're not told this is for certain circumstances and then we're going to teach you to get back in touch with your body, back in touch with your passion when you're making other decisions. No, no, no. We're just told... This is the way things are done. You should always feel this way. You should always be this way. And if you don't behave this way, you're sort of defined as deviant. That's just, we get it from every direction. And now when I go out into a traditional culture and watch the way people there are living, it seems bizarre to me when I come back that Western Americans in particular are so rigidly attached to ways of being that aren't natural for them, for us.
0: You know, and I see this spill over into marketing and small businesses all the time. I can't tell you how many times a business owner will tell me, oh, I, we can't do it that way because nobody else in our industry does. And, and of course, it's exactly. you know, it's, it's keeping them, you know, a commodity when, when if, if they actually went out and figured out how to do something that nobody else was doing, that would be really attractive.
1: Yeah, I used to tell my business school students when I taught at Thunderbird, um, here's my most profound marketing secret. Love sells better than hate. If you love what you're doing, the energy of that permeates your entire working life, your entire business structure, everything you create, and it eventually gets to the customer. And if you hate everything you're doing and everyone you're working with and the projects that you're doing, that gets through to the customer.
0: I, I have, uh, we were talking off the air, you know, i worked on a new project myself, and, and I really started looking at a little bit of this, Idea of purpose, and even in my own life, you know that's one of the things that's kind of fun about writing a book is you actually get a lot out of the process yeah. of doing it. As I'm sure you've discovered right. as well, um, is that I find that the things that when I when I don't want to do something, when I'm I'm sort of afraid. In fact, the things that I'm really afraid of, there's a mm-hmm. the, the world is sort of telling me that I better look really hard at that because there's probably something really important in that. And and there's a line in the book I want to try to find that, that because I think this is really helpful for people to use this as a this sort of finding purpose filter. Uh, look at how our greatest suffering connects with our greatest joy. And, and I think that, that if that doesn't hit you with a ton of right. bricks, <laughs> like a ton of bricks, you know, I don't know what will. Um, so, so talk a little more about that idea.
1: Sure. Uh, early on, um, I read something by a, a guy named Matthew Fox who said, your, your life's mission is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's probably the best business advice I've ever been given. So my deep gladness is interacting with people in a way to help them construct something they love out of their lives. My deep, the world's deep hunger, which I felt in my own life, was being pushed off what felt normal to me. It was being pushed away from what my heart wanted. So when I was getting my doctorate at Harvard and uh, my second child was diagnosed with Down syndrome and I had to decide within two weeks whether or not to keep him, um, I realized that the whole Harvard machine, which i 'd been involved with since I was seventeen, was pushing me away from something that my heart said I wanted, which was the experience of mothering this child. I was terrified, I was heartbroken, and yet my deep hunger was to have a life that was meaningful and some you know when you, it pushed it to the life of my child, I was able to choose my heart over the the brain training, and everyone i 've worked with ever, especially the men. There's a point where you simply won't go there anymore, but we have to be suffering intensely to get to that place. And so many men are in lives that are absolutely miserable so that they can support their families. And I am guaranteeing you, in this world, you will support your family better and be the man you're meant to be, the happy, generous, joyful man, if you follow your heart I know it sounds tacky, but
0: it's really true. No, I, you know what though? I mean, you, you're right about uh, all this social pressure that that you know I've just gotta I've gotta provide I've gotta muddle muddle through. You know, it's not even about what people will think about me. It's just that that's just not an option for me. And and I think it's, it's yep. You're right. It's heartbreaking. I, I saw the saddest sign on, uh, you know, it was at the DMV or something? Right, a soul sucking place, uh, you know, for, for, for anyone to work at. But uh, really, and, and the guy behind the counter who had just you know was. Going through countless people, punching a clock, um, had a sign up there, you know, f- five more days till I retire. You know, oh and, my and I gosh. just thought, wow. You know, if you, if wow. <laughs> it just really was so wow. sad to see, you know, because it's a
1: prison sentence. It's exactly <laughs> it re- like someone with a prison sentence really on his is. wall.
0: It really is. Wow. Now, you talk about um, another thing that I know a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners suffer with is that you you can never get it all done in a business, right? <laughs> I mean, so no kidding. So, consequently, you can work eighty hours a week, any eighty hours a week you choose. But uh, but this idea um, of an infinite loop of play and rest, I wish you could try to apply right. that to uh, to a business owner.
1: Yeah, I was just talking to my assistant, and, and she helped arrange a conference that we did last week, and she's so exhausted she can hardly function. And I'm like, yep, this is how I ended up in the hospital a few times with exhaustion because I tr- I'm trying to run this whole sort of organization. And it's like having a huge baby that never sleeps. And at a certain point, I realized the world will never call a halt a halt to the number of things it wants me to do. You know, I've been lucky enough to have eager customers my entire career, but I can't serve all of them as much as they want to be served. So I started, again, paying attention to what was going on inside me. It starts very simply with noticing what your body wants. But then I had to – it was this huge exercise of faith and trust in, I don't know, the goodness of the world or whatever, to say, when I am tired, I will stop working. If something feels exhausting, I will not do it, and I will trust that by serving my health, both emotional and physical, I will create something that will support the health of my my employees and my customers, and therefore, I will be successful without working as hard. Man, that was a hard... Oh, I was scared to death because the, the ethic of hard, continuous labor was so deep in me, and... Um, since I started learning to pull back and rest, every huge break that I've ever had in my career has come while I was goofing off or asleep.
0: Well, and, and you know, I think the key word you said in all of that was trust, though, because that—that uh, that is the problem. I mean, as a business owner, if if I don't return that email in two seconds, maybe they won't want me next time, you know, or maybe they yep. won't call or maybe they'll stop buying. And I think that that's the, the part that that's the trap that we fall in.
1: Yeah, I have one of my trainees who's done incredibly well. um, At one point had to shut down her entire business and even take away her phone number and um, email address. She, She got a new email address and a new phone number, but she didn't give them to anyone. Went off to Africa to play with the animals in the wilderness, which is kind of a theme in this book. The idea of going into the wilderness to find your true self. Anyway, when she came back, she was suddenly... You know, the, she checked her new email address that no one had, and it was absolutely filled with requests for her to do high-ticket, high price things. It, or she did so much better in business after she totally dropped her attachment to it, and she doesn't even know how they got that email. <laughs> and I know that sounds wacky and magical, and that's why I wrote this book about there may be something to a wacky, magical viewpoint that could actually help us all here.
0: Well, and and we'll never have enough time to get all the way through this. So I'm going to ask you to sort of tease the listeners with this. I mean, one of the things you talk about is f- four technologies of magic, and I love that you use the word technology because that takes a little of the woo-woo away for some people. Um, but, right. <laughs> but uh, they they so if you could kind of give the sort of the high level uh, wordlessness, oneness, imagination, and forming.
1: Right. First of all, I just want to quote um, Arthur C. Clarke: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So you show an iPod to some to a rainforest shaman and he says whoa magic and you say no technology and then you say he says here I'll make you an MAO inhibitor drug out of these eight plants and because the plants sing to me and tell me what to do and we say wow that's magic he says no that's technology that's awesome so he, yeah so I went and looked at people who were doing ancient technologies that work that uh, that work they have to work it's not just like New Age la la la. I wanted to see people who are doing things that we have forgotten how to do, but they work. And I found that all of those people had four um, procedures in common, and they always did them in the same order. The first one is to pull away from the verbal brain into what I call wordlessness, which is the capability of the nonverbal brain, which is millions of times more powerful than the verbal brain. So they go into a state of wordlessness, deep peace, stillness, whatever you want to call it. And that would connect them with a sense of um, being unified with everybody and everything. And mystics in every tradition have described this. When you get still inside, you feel that you are one with all things. Okay, it's a blissful feeling. It's also somewhere where you can actually communicate. You can pull customers in if you're in that state of wordless oneness where everything is compassion. At that point, you imagine the future you want, say for your company, your family, whatever it is. If you're in real wordlessness and oneness, that will not be a shallow vision. It will be something that serves your whole self. And then when you know you've got, you've imagined something powerful and you see an action step in the physical world, you begin building or forming what you've imagined. And we do the imagination and forming in our culture, but we forget the wordlessness and the, and the oneness. And that's why businesses fail, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: And that, uh, that I, you know, I don't do it enough, but I am a firm believer in uh, at least trying to trying to grab a. a a day a month—that's even ambitious. Um, where I can you know, not interact with anybody, <laughs> um, and it's it's increasingly difficult to do. But every time I do it, you know, within an hour after the, after the noise in my head quiets down a little bit, uh, I you know, it's amazing. Just even that that amount of time, half a day, even uh, what yeah. it is, what it does for you.
1: Five minutes, even thirty seconds, three breaths yeah. of being completely still will rejuvenate you beyond belief. Don't
0: think you have to go all or nothing. So, you and I interacted a few weeks ago. Uh, I was uh, asking you to—I asked you to a couple of questions. One of them was uh, where, where, kind of who your mentors or or what a, who who has inspired you, uh, man, woman, or otherwise. <laughs> and uh, you right. uh, you chose Leonardo da Vinci, and I think that's a great place for us to sort of wrap up because I loved your answer for that. And I, I wonder if you could just kind of share, you know, your thinking on on you know why that was your chosen person, or or for for inspiring, or or as acting as a mentor for you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, uh, I don't claim to have any kind of of genius like Leonardo da Vinci did, but I remember even at fifteen, I looked at his drawings. he used to love to draw, and then I realized he was drawing machines. And then I r- read that he was actually really successful in a number of fields, and I thought that's kind of, somehow I sensed that I would have an opportunity to live that way if I wanted, to go back and forth between the arts and the sciences, um, to really think innovatively. He designed helicopters and things hundreds of years before anyone else did. And also to be really soulful. His paintings are so moving. I mean, the, like the Virgin of the Rock is this incredible image of love. So he was able to span the whole spectrum of emotion, of mind, of spirit, and of body. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to create. It won't be as fancy as Leonardo's, but I want to emulate his diversity and his absolute intensity on on finding the vision within himself, even if nobody else saw it yet. So I think and the beauty of this day and age is that with the technologies we have, we're actually capable of using that to form a living if we're creative enough.
0: I really think one of the keys is it's not even about being a good painter or a good inventor or all those things. It's really more the giving yourself permission to think that way, I think, almost.
1: Yeah, to think outside the box, to range freely, and to have the faith in yourself to just focus on what brings you joy, what lights your fire, rather than doing what everyone around you is doing.
0: So Martha, um, this has been awesome. We're out of time, um, but tell me uh, where, where what, what's the best way for people to connect with you and your work, both online and off.
1: Um, the online way is the best option. I have a virtual company. My assistant is Jessica at Montabec dot com. So if you have a question or a comment, just toss it over to us and. Um, Basically, that's my entire information flow is online because I think that's the wave of the future.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I guess what I was implying was was more like grabbing your books and things of that nature. Oh, grab so, my
1: yeah. books go to Amazon.com, yeah, yeah. download it on Kindle. Yeah, that's all changing, too. Publishing is moving to a virtual space. So, yep, yeah. yeah, visit Amazon.com and you'll find all our books in the same types of Recommended categories,
0: right? Yeah, that's right. And then MarthaBeck.com, com. You you also have some resources there. And, and are you? Um, I should know this, but do, do you? Are you doing public uh, workshops anymore? Or
1: I do. I've just started doing them again because I missed them so much. Um, I don't really need to, but I love it, and, and I want to. So I'll, I'm I'm going to be offering some new workshops that are specifically designed around this idea of rediscovering your true nature and how to use um, the just the factors of our world today that weren't even available five years ago or two years ago, so how to use those to claim your true nature and find this sort of innate joy while you do something that brings the money you need to live.
0: Yeah, I'm going to guess just in the little bit of time we spent together that that sort of interaction that you get from those workshops is probably pretty important to you almost as a sort of laboratory and testing ground.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's just a source of enormous joy yeah. and uh, gathering of people of like mind who can start to create this new way of living and doing business.
0: And I bet you the food is really good.
1: We do our best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I,
0: I know some of your, your, your cookbook recommendations that you give and I, you know, and I share those. So that's why, I, uh, that's why I assume that the food... I, I would be able to find uh, plenty that I would enjoy eating at any of your workshops.
1: Yeah, when we do our, our workshops in the African wilderness, it's five-star cuisine and lodging with total raw nature. Yeah. It's, I love that combination. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Martha, thank you so much. It was really uh, a pleasure to spend time with you. And uh, Oh, thank hope, you. Hopefully we can uh, chat again sometime soon.
1: I'm sure we will. And in the meantime, you know, go wild. Go uh, have fun.
0: <laughs> absolutely great advice.
1: Okay.